Self-worth is the unlock. Welcome to the Self-Care Savage podcast. A self-care savage is a term that I've coined that combines elements of self-care and a more assertive and bold approach to taking care of oneself and growing their self-worth. On the Self-Care Savage podcast, we will explore how self-care and self-worth are always in the driver's seat in all parts of our lives and how we act and react to life. Okay, so I am really excited to have someone on today. I, I did. I just told her I did a lot of research on her last night. It's Amy Moran, and she's a therapist, but she's also an author. And her latest book is 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, which I think is a great title. But she also has previous books that, that have some similar titles to it. But she's also a, a, a podcaster who's been doing it a long time, has a great uh, great following with that. And it's called Mentally Stronger with therapist a- Amy Morin. And she's also an a, a Inc. Top 100 speaker, and which is something I aspire to do. So, um, you know, I'm going to be watching and she also lives on a sailboat. So I think that that's something that's very intriguing, too, with everything that she does with her life. And I think one of the, 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 the best things I would always point people to with Amy is to go to her TED Talk, which is on YouTube. It's got 20, over 22 million views, and it's, uh, uh, it aligns with everything um, uh, that I think we're going to talk a little bit about today and, and what she does. So... Welcome to the to my podcast, and um, I'm I'm all going to be learning today. I'm all going to be a big sponge listening to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, a, a couple of things. I, I know uh, social media is a big part of what we do in the world today. Is social media? How do you feel about social media? I, I again, I've looked at your channel, but do you really push a, a lot of that? Is that a lot of where you know, you, you grow with what you're trying to do with your platforms? Uh, yeah. So I guess before, when I was a therapist, I didn't really use social media all that much because um, not only was it 10 years ago before I started writing books, but also I wanted to keep my private life private because I don't want, I lived in a very small community where I practiced and I didn't really want my private life out there for all of my therapy clients to necessarily see and hear about. I guess as my uh, author, when I started writing books and I started growing my my business as a speaker and an entrepreneur, social media became more important. And I hear a lot of people talk about all the dangers of social media, and I absolutely agree. For people with pre-existing mental health issues, social media often makes the symptoms worse. But on the other hand, like for the first time in history, we have the power to have like this little computer in our pocket that has the power to allow us to connect to amazing people like you and get like free tidbits and pieces of advice and we can be motivated and inspired by people. So it's really, I think, a tool and it's all about how you use it. Unfortunately, the way it is designed, it's to keep us scrolling, right? So that you scroll when you're in line at the grocery store, you pick up your phone when you're bored, when you're lonely, and they know, like the algorithms know how to make you stay hooked longer. I mean, it's amazing when you, and frightening when you read about it, that if social media asks you, which thing are you most likely to click on, and they give you lists of it, the computer's better at knowing what you're going to click on than you are. 
because they have designed it in a way that they know, hey, if I keep giving Amy like these funny cat videos, she's going to stick around for a while. But at the same time, if I give something else to Scott to make to show him about nature or something else he's interested in, like they know how to hook you in. So we just have to be more mindful of how we're using it, because otherwise it does. A lot of my therapy clients, I'd ask them, how much time do you spend on your phone? And they would say like, oh, not that much. And in the days before we had those apps that automatically got preloaded on our phones, I would encourage people to try to find out how to keep track of how much time they spent scrolling or how much time they spent on social media. And nobody ever came back and said, yeah, it's just exactly what I thought. Everybody would come back the next week and they're like, wow, (laughs) I can't believe it. That And somebody might be like, well, you know, I smoke cigarettes. So every time I go out for a smoke break, I spend 10 minutes scrolling. Or somebody else would be like, you know, these five minutes here, five minutes there, 10 minutes in between every meeting, I just open my phone. And then how much that adds up in a day that people will spend six hours on their phone. But if you ask them, how much time do you think you spend on it? They might say like 30 minutes. (laughs) So it can make us really underestimate how much time we're spending. And if you're not really proactive and conscious about the what you're consuming all day, it definitely affects your mental health. Yes, and I've talked about that uh, a lot, and um, uh, with the algorithms and what you're what you're talking about, and I, and I tell people, look, you know, uh, you want me to tell you what you, what you're interested in? Do you want me to just immediately understand that? And and uh, as let me let me look at your phone and let me get into your social media and let me just go through your feeds, and I'm going to be able to see you. You know, you have a lot of people that are like, I can't you know, I don't want to get on there or, or when I am on there, you know, all this stuff comes up and, you know, I don't want to watch somebody dancing and doing all that. Well, you, do you know why it's coming up on your feed? Cause that's exactly what you're doing. So first thing is, why don't you be honest that you are watching those things because that's what it, it picks up on. Did you, have you watched the, and I'm sure you have the, um, the Netflix documentary social dilemma. Yeah. 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 And like you just spoke, uh, you know, you just touched on a few of those things. That's, that's how the algorithms built. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, we won't get into that. It's a different thing, but that's, if anybody go to Netflix, watch, watch social dilemma. And if you want to understand this whole environment we live in now, that's going to get you started on it. So, um, what, so why don't we get into a little bit about the book? But let's talk about your background and, you know, or the uh, the backstory a little bit on the book and what you talk about and the, the things that you had happen, because I think it's important to set that up that you, you know, with everything you this is where it comes from. Sure. So I was a therapist in rural Maine and life was pretty good. And but about a year into my work as a therapist, my mom passed away suddenly and she had a brain aneurysm. So she was fine. Like healthy as far as we knew everything was good she was here one minute and like literally gone the next and it did a number on me to figure out how do you wrap your brain around that i've been really close to my mom and again she like was here one minute and gone the next and as a therapist I spent a lot of time working with people in that first year and figuring out why is it some people get through hard times and they come out on the other side of it and they still are hopeful and they're kind people Yet other people had something happen and it might have been like 20 years ago, but they still were like bitter and angry or they just felt like this thing ruined their life. And one of the things I noticed early on was like it wasn't always about what people did. It was sometimes about what they didn't do. People who didn't have certain bad habits got through life. Um, And I guess more 
hopeful and more positive. And they went on and still did great things no matter whatever life threw their way. And so I thought, ooh, now it's not just about teaching other people the skills I learned in college, but I'm like studying the people. It was like I had a revolving door of case studies all day of people walking in my office. And I got to figure out like, gosh, here you are coming into therapy. You've had all of these horrible things happen to you, but you're here because you still have some kind of hope that maybe life could get better or that you could do something differently. And it was the three-year anniversary, three years to the day that my mom died. My 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. And just like when I had lost my mom, like it was sudden, completely unexpected, and again, did a complete number on my brain. How can somebody be here one minute and like, poof, they've disappeared the next? And now I've lost my two favorite people. I'm 26. I'm a widow. I don't have my mom. And I'm supposed to be a therapist who helps other people with their problems. Like, how do I, how do, I do this anymore? And... And it was rough. Like I took as much time off from work as I could. I was able to tap into short-term disability benefits, thank goodness, because bereavement days, you get like three of them. And But I was obviously not in any shape to help anybody for a long time. So I was able to take a couple months off from work. Not that a couple months was uh, enough to say I was healed, but at least to get my affairs in order and figure out what am I going to do. And one of the things I didn't want was to have to move. I thought, you know, I've lost so much in my life right now. I can't imagine having to move either. Uh, but as a therapist, you can only work so many hours. You can't work 100 hours a week as a therapist. But I didn't make enough money to pay the bills on my own. So one of the things I started doing was writing as a side hustle. And again, I just thought everything in my life is flipped upside down. But if I can just keep my house and my same job and then do a little writing on the side, I'll get through this. And started writing articles occasionally just because I could do that at night and on the weekends if I felt up to it and spent the next couple of years figuring out what's my new normal? How do you go grocery shopping for one person now? And what dreams do I want to hold on to? What do I want to let go of? We'd been foster parents. And so I thought, do I want to be a single foster mom? For a long time, I didn't. I eventually went back to it. But uh, it was all of that, figuring out, do I still want to do the same vacations we had always talked about when I was married? And do I want to still have, we had a boat. I'm like, do I still want to have a boat? And the answer eventually was no. So I sold it, but I explored a bunch of other things. I went out and bought a motorcycle and got my motorcycle license and thought maybe this will help. I'll just ride a motorcycle around and see. And it was all about for years, just exploring who am I now? And now that life is just not what I envisioned, how do I work through the grief? And uh, it took a long time, but years later I found a love again. I got remarried. And then I decided I was ready to move, move to a new house, got a new job. Life was looking good. And that was when my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I just remember thinking like, you know, I just spent an entire decade grieving. I don't have any more grief to do. Like I just, I can't do it. And I thought, all right, well, obviously digging in my heels isn't going to help. So that's when I sat down and I wrote a list of what mentally strong people don't do. When I was done, I had 13 things on the list and I would read that every day. And just wake up and say, okay, just don't do these things today and somehow you'll get through the day. I didn't want a to-do list because I already felt like I was overwhelmed. But I said, just don't do these things and you'll be okay. And I found the letter helpful. So I thought, eh, maybe it will help somebody else. So I published it online for $15. Didn't give the backstory of why I wrote it. It was literally just the list of 13 things. And um, stepped away from my computer thinking five or six people would read it. But 15 million people read the list. and. One of those people were, was a literary agent who said, hey, you should write a book. And within a year, I had a book deal. And it's been um, 
almost 11 years now. And now I get to keep writing and speaking about mental strength because apparently people were far more interested in it than I even imagined. And I'm grateful that I had that opportunity now to to be able to share the backstory of I didn't write this just because I'm a therapist and I knew it. I wrote it because I needed it myself in my own life too. Yeah, I think that's that's incredible. I mean, first of all, I I wouldn't have any idea what any of that really feels like um, going through that in that span of time. I think these are the things that can come out of these when when someone does, even though they don't may not know how to do it or if they're doing it right or it's so hard or getting it is to keep moving forward. Keep like you said, look, go get your motorcycle license, do whatever, find out whatever, sell the boat. That was a dream y'all had together, I guess. And, and maybe that it's not a dream you have on your own. So you lead through the example of what you're doing. And you um, also, you can lead from been there, done that and doing it. You know, it's just like your TED talk. I mean, it was, you know, it's, to me, this is a, 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 uh, a hero type story. Um, it's a, it's that, it's that feel good. It's that, it's at the end. It's that, you know, there's all this story in it and all the tragedy and the life's events and what goes on. But then look what, look what happens if you just stay engaged. And the other thing, the next level is to share your story. That's next level self-care. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash SelfCareSavage. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash SelfCareSavage. I'm so appreciative of that and so appreciative of you, you know, talking about it. That's again, you talking about that is what where it's going to, it's going to connect with people. Thank you. I guess a couple of things about that. I think, yeah, when we share our story, sometimes after the fact, like really helps find meaning and purpose. So all right, I didn't suffer for, for nothing. If I can reach back and help somebody else or say, this is what helped me and that inspires somebody, then okay, at least, you know, something came out of it. And I don't think we always have to look for the good in a situation. And I don't think we always, I don't think there's always a bright side of everything. And I don't want to minimize like when you go through tough times, like, like some things are easier for me. Like, yes, public speaking was horrifying for me. I never would have done it before. Well, I can say now, like, I don't really sweat, sweat the small stuff. <laughs> like if I embarrass myself, it's not the end of the world. So that's a good thing. But like, I'm not going to say I came out of this as like the a much better person who's completely unscathed and that I'm now stronger and better for it. Like 
now I got some weird scars, you know, if somebody in my life gets sick these days. I'm like, oh, you know, here we go again. Like, oh, you have a headache. It probably means you're going to drop dead. Like, so for people, I think sometimes they feel pressure to say like, I grew so much through everything, but like, I think, or people will say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But I think sometimes the stuff that didn't kill you still leaves you scarred and that's okay. Um, to acknowledge that and to say, you know, it changed my life. But when we talk about it too, it makes makes it make more sense for us. I know for me in writing, that's how I make sense of all the jumbled stuff in my head. You put it on a piece of paper, type it out on your computer, and suddenly it gets much more organized. And so I do think sharing our stories and sometimes even just writing it down for yourself, if you don't want to share it with somebody else, can be really powerful. Yeah, the journaling part, and and, and I know you you know you talked a little bit about that. And you know, I'm a I'm not I haven't dug so deep into what exactly you're you specifically do around therapy and and as as a therapist but you know what really was a, an eye opener for me and what really was one of those things in my life years ago that you know was a leap I call them these leapfrog moments for me you know whether it was a book or whatever was when I really started researching and understand cognitive behavioral therapy how and the journaling really became a big part of that and then and in incorporating, connecting the dots through the journaling and being able to see the pattern and, and, and then being able to zero in on it. And then, and then if I needed to go back, because I found out now where it comes from, or I understand better, you know, I can jump back and do that. It's just like working out and being disciplined. They're non-negotiables. I go at it every day. I can't, I don't stop until my mind is in a place that I can move forward so I can be better for myself, which in turn makes me better for others. So is there kind of, where are you headed next? Like with the books, you know, this latest book, of course, if we want to talk about that a little bit more to, you know, what's, what's going on with the Amy beside, and maybe if you want to talk about just being on the boat for a minute. Sure. Uh, I guess I'll tell you the, the, um, evolution of the books. I'll start there and then happy to talk about the boat. So 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do was my first book. And I thought, this is great. I'm a therapist and I got to write a book. Never thought in a million years I'd get a chance to write a second book. But the question I kept getting from readers was, how do we teach this to kids? So I went back to my publisher and said, what do you think about a parenting book? And they were all for it. So I wrote 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. And then I had a lot of questions from women specifically saying, well, when we talk about mental toughness, we often see like a Navy SEAL or we see elite athletes or these historical figures who are typically men. What does it look like to be a strong woman? So I wrote 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. And then I still kept getting more questions about kids. So parents would say, okay, I, I've read the parenting book now. What is there something I can give my kids? So uh, my favorite book to write was the kids book, which is 13 Things Strong Kids Do. It's the only one in the series that's do instead of don't do because kids get told what not to do all the time. So I wanted to give them a roadmap of what to do. And then my most recent book was is a workbook, the 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do workbook, because I wanted to make sure that people had those tools. It wasn't just reading the book and then putting it back on the shelf. I wanted people to have interactive exercises and to be able to say, how do you now apply this to, to your life? And and uh, everyday basis, how do these exercises really look in your life today? And then the next book I'm working on is a couple's book. It comes out December 26th, and it'll be 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do, because 
all of my other work just talks about working on yourself and building mental strength on an individual basis. But boy, can we accomplish much more when we do it together as a team with somebody. And what I was seeing a lot of as a therapist is people saying, well, you know, I can't be mentally strong because my partner does X, Y, and Z, or look at what I have to live with. So it's also about what do you do? How do you, when maybe you and your partner have some issues or you feel like you're incompatible in some ways, how do you be mentally strong anyway? So that's the the series of books and um, what's going on in the pipeline. I don't know if there'll be anything after the couple's book, but for now, I'm editing that and that will come out at the end of this year. And then in terms of the sailboat, it definitely aligns with with a lot of the messages I give. So after I wrote the first book, I was living in Maine and again, thought I would have a traditional job as a therapist for most of my life. And I had just written the book on the side and thought, plan to probably stay there forever. But by then I, I was remarried and my husband, Steve, always wanted to live on a sailboat. And we said, we'll do that someday. And we ended up buying a, a slip. You can buy a sailboat slip in, in the Florida Keys and purchase it. And we rented it out. And our tenant gave her notice in November of whatever year it was, seven years ago at this point. And she gave her notice and we thought, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Someday we should move there. And it was like this light bulb clicked for both of us. Like if I've learned anything, it's don't depend on someday because you don't really know how long you're going to be here. And I also didn't want to move on to a sailboat when I was 75 years old because that doesn't sound like nearly as much fun. <laughs> so within the month, we uh, bought a boat and we had a Fiat at the time and a dog and a cat. So we moved into our boat with whatever we could fit in this Fiat, which is mostly the stuff for the dog and the cat. And I had a laptop and a couple of articles of clothing. And I thought, what else do you need? So we moved from Maine down to the Florida Keys, and uh, we've been here ever since. It's taught me a lot about the fact that you really don't need much in life. A lot of the things I used to think that I needed, I don't. And one of the things that had happened to me is when my mom passed away, the, my dad's house caught on fire two weeks later, which meant, and the house didn't burn down, but everything had smoke damage and water damage. So we had to sort through all of my mom's stuff almost immediately. And I took a lot of it just knowing, well, I'll go through it eventually. And so like her old clothes and things like that, and they were all in these big boxes. And then um, when my husband passed away and I eventually did move, I still have like his baseball card collection from when he was seven. And I have a lot of his clothes and a lot of his items and I had all this stuff. And I felt guilty that I wasn't doing anything with it. But at the same time, I didn't know what to do with it. And so I held on to it. And then I just, I like struggled to break free from that. And I didn't want to just, you know, give it all away on a whim. But on the other hand, I thought I'm just, it's taking up room in boxes and I feel guilty that it's just sitting there and eventually, you know, who knows what will happen to it, but I'll feel bad if I don't do anything with it. So moving in and moving on to a sailboat kind of set me free. It was like, all right, just take a couple of sentimental items or take the stuff that you really want to keep and maybe give to his nephew someday or to um, my my nieces so that they can have something from their grandmother. But, you know, you don't have to save every scrap of paper. Or And so I think it really helped with my healing process too, to know like, okay, these things don't represent my memories necessarily, or they don't represent the person, but I can break free from them. And still honor their memory without feeling like I had to be tied down to ab absolutely everything that either of them ever owned. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, the, the end of that and talking about, you know, the minimalizing and, and, and going through that and, and the, the free freedom of it and all that. It's, 
is for people to understand these kind of things a little bit earlier in their life that what 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 really 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 is important and and even understanding where why it is you do the things you do even though these are things mentally strong people don't do but going through the process of understanding why you're 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 holding on to things or why you let things that are ba- are or that bring up bad things or or do things why do you why do you feel that you need to hold on to them and going back and exploring that a little bit and addressing it you know through journaling or whatever it is you you do these are things that again can connect those dots and you can realize you can come back to the now and and move forward in a different way your life is going to be so much more peaceful have so much more I, I think that's great. I mean, you, you've got a wonderful story and, and, you know, I want to always be of, of help to people that, that are doing and sharing. That's it too. I don't want to just write books. I'm like, I have to actually do things and experiment and try these things in my own life too. So I have something to write about. <laughs> but you know, the 13, that the, the, you're going to be able to take that forever. You talk about maybe not having something after couples. I got 10, 15 things that popped into my head. It was like, oh my gosh, you could do this, this, and this. So I think it's going to go as long as you want it to go. So, well, is there anything, tell us a little bit about uh, just where you would like people to go to. I know the podcast, again, that's that's certainly, um, there's a lot of messaging in there and you do your, you do some things weekly as well as you have guests on and and it's just, you know, you're, 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 it's at the mentally stronger with therapist, Amy Morin, 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 yep, you got I'm it. I'm sorry. I'm probably going yeah, every, you know, every Friday I share what's called a Friday fix episode. And you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy earlier. That's very much what my practice is all about. And so I try to teach people a skill in like 10 or 15 minutes of, Hey, try this this week might work for you. I don't guarantee it will, but just try it. Whether it's scheduling time to worry or it's how to boost your mood when you're having a down day, all of these skills and strategies that I was using in my therapy office. Now I just give them away for free on on the podcast because I want people to know them. We don't get taught emotional and social and behavioral skills anywhere else. And some of these things are simple. They sound like too good to be true, but they often work. And so uh, that's what I do on Fridays is share something like that. And then I answer a question of the week from our audience. And then Mondays, I have a guest, people like you, who is about to come on my show and just talk about how do you grow mentally stronger? I don't want to just give uh, tips from what works for me, but I want to hear what works for other people. So I interview experts, authors, occasionally celebrities, really cool people who say, you know, here's what's working for me. Here's why it works. And this is my story of how I started implementing it in my life. And our listeners find um, lots of tidbits of information too that they then think, well, if it worked for this person, maybe it will work for me. And people try those strategies in their own lives as well. Yeah, no, and the, I, I listened to some of your podcasts too. I, I listened to a few episodes, and then I again went through your page, and uh, you know, I was telling Paul about some of the people you've had on your podcast, and um, you know, Kelly Slater. Uh, you know, of course, you know that that dates me a little bit too. But um, and then um, you had Jewel on there. Yep. This when you say celebrities, these are but these aren't people that are the narcissistic version, I guess. Guess to say where, you know, it's it's the it's the version of people that are again willing to talk about things and and talk about struggles and that that's just so important to connect. There's there's really no message if you're just saying things, but you're not showing leading. 
Yeah. And I think when we do put celebrities on, it often just teaches people like Jewel has an incredible backstory of being homeless and all the things she struggled through. And I think that inspires people. Or when we talk to Kelly Slater and he talks about the things he still struggles with in life, I think that's eye-opening for people to know, okay, here's somebody who looks like he is on the top of the world. And yet he's saying, you know, I still struggle with my mental health too. So I think that helps people to normalize like, okay, it's not like you're going to reach a certain level of success or you're going to wake up one day and suddenly you feel like everything is great and you're never going to struggle again. Everybody struggles and they might struggle with something different. Kelly Slater probably doesn't worry about money, but he has other worries in life. And so it's the emotion is the same, but he might just struggle with different things. So any, any, uh, uh, where to exactly you want people to go to point to give your handles, whatever it is you want to do. And then. Sure. So my website is Amy Morin, LCSW is in licensed clinical social worker.com. And you can find information about my books and my TEDx talk and the podcast there and the social media that I'm most active on is probably Instagram. And my handle there is Amy Morin author. Yes. Awesome. Thank you for listening. And I hope my podcast has helped you in some way taking the path to becoming a self-care savage. Make sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.